Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for musicians, singers, songwriters, artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm your host, Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated. Check out www.nowhearthis.biz. Be sure to sign up for the email newsletter there, which is quick and easy. All that's required is an email address. We are coming to you from Crystal Blue Sound Studios near Tampa, Florida. Check them out on the web at www.cbpro, as in Crystal Blue Productions, cbpro.net. Be sure you are subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends to do so as well. We are thrilled to be on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. Lots of great guests on Now Hear This Entertainment, or as I've taken to calling it, NHTE. Joining me today here in the studio, my guest is the executive director of the Gasparilla Music Festival, a two-day event with 40-plus bands. It will be held March 7th and 8th in downtown Tampa. So for all you listeners who are up-and-coming musicians that long to hear how music festivals pick who gets booked to perform at those events, this episode will give you the answers you've been looking for. It's my pleasure to welcome Ty Rodriguez. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you, uh, Ty, so much for being here and for taking the time to come on the show and talk all about the Gasparilla Music Festival. My pleasure. One of my favorite topics. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Ty, if you'll bear with me, first, let's set the stage here because this show is heard not only throughout the U.S., but around the world in countries spanning all five regions, Africa, the Americas, Asia, Europe, and Oceania. So, as a result, you and I being here in Tampa, we both know all about Gasparilla, but there are going to be more listeners than not that don't even know about Gasparilla here in Tampa, not to mention your festival. So enlighten the listeners first on Gasparilla itself. Gasparilla is a city celebration. Um, it's in honor of Ho- Jose Gaspar, one of the old pirates that sort of uh, took over Tampa, and they have a big uh, parade that happens once a year. This is going over 50 years now. Ye Mr. Crew is responsible for it. And it ends up being a pretty debaucherous event, but a pretty <laughs> great. Uh, about 250 to 500,000 people end up coming down to Bayshore Boulevard with parades and um, uh, different uh, floats and different musical bands and uh, different uh, high school bands all up and down. So it's really just a celebration of Tampa's heritage. Uh, and uh, that name in particular has kind of made Tampa a little bit of a, of a showcase. And it's well known around Tampa outside the area. So it's got a little weight to it. Um, but that's basically how kind of the, the Gasparilla name sort of stuck with Tampa. And is there something that took place at some point or or some person that was responsible or an administration that was responsible that it started off the way you described it and grew to what it is today? I think it just became more of a a welcoming event. Every um, policy person, mayor, all the way down to city council embraced it. uh, And therefore, every year it sort of grew. They were able to throw a little bit more money at it, uh, make it a little bit tighter, make it a little bit more organized. And then it became a kind of a jewel event for Tampa for many years. I remember going as a young boy with my parents and catching beads and seeing the pirates and and all that kind of good stuff. So yeah, it was, it's quite, it's quite an overwhelming event. I think it's the city itself that's responsible for its continued growth, not necessarily one individual in particular. And probably the diversity of the festival is what gives it such worldwide appeal. I shouldn't say worldwide, but but statewide, nationwide, because although you might know one aspect of it, I might know the night parade. I'm not sure if I'm even calling it. That's what when I used to go to it. 
but in fact, there are so many different facets that have evolved over the years that really people may be coming here for something that I'm not even going to take part in and probably vice versa. Absolutely. You have the night parade. You also have the race, the Gasparilla 10K, 5K, 15K race. Um, You also have the Gasparilla Film Festival, and you also have the Gasparilla Arts Festival. The Gasparilla Music Festival sort of nestled itself in this month of arch. Uh, month of March, which now has ended up being um, a showcase of of the arts uh, here in in Tampa, uh, with the art festival kicking everything off in the first week of March, then the music festival being the second week of March, the third week is uh, a little bit of a break, and then the race uh, on the fourth. So yeah, it's quite inspiring, and it's it's a really great little uh, time to be in in Florida. And uh, as mentioned, uh, you know, uh, when you think of Florida, the weather in, in that particular time frame is pretty wonderful, too. Is that the reason, though, why to, for something that was rooted in January, is, is the, the better, already good Florida weather, why they decided, well, let's kind of really go full bore in March? I can't speak for the film festival and the arts festival, but I definitely can speak for the music festival. It's it's definitely uh, one of the main reasons that um, you know we, we, we picked that particular month. And uh, so far, uh, we've had some really great weather and feel very, very blessed about it. So we, we like... We like our time frame. We like the dates. Okay, well, let's let's drill down to, to specifically your your event. Uh, tell us about the history of the Gasparilla Music Festival, including say how and why it was founded. Um, I think it basically the reason is because we're all fans. I think that um, the reason why we all got involved was because of the music uh, about bringing an event into the community. The uh, festival actually started with three gentlemen, uh, David Cox, Phil Benito, and Jeff Hunt. These three individuals sort of got together uh, and did their own sort of legwork. Uh, Dave Cox in particular got involved in the Gasparilla Film Festival, just kind of seeing how things worked. Um, how does the city work? How does permitting work? How does TPD fit into this? What are some general costs for putting in an event like this? And then they sort of reached out into the community from six degrees of separation, realizing, like, identifying that they needed, you know, they needed a restaurant guy. You know, to kind of bring in some food and some beverage. They needed a PR person. They needed someone to book bands. They needed someone that was good with sponsorship. Um, They needed someone who was good for volunteers. And then they sort of reached out to their friends. And then in 2012, we put on the first festival, really incorporating in late 2010, working on the event all through 2011. Um, So uh, that's sort of the base of where it's from. Um, All 12 uh, individuals that started off, or 10 of them are still highly involved in the festival, which speaks volumes uh but uh that was kind of like the mainframe to kind of get it started they were the ones in particular that had the vision um to kind of bring this to tampa well i'm getting some follow-up questions that are popping into my head here as you're saying all that so let's see if i can remember everything that came to mind you mentioned three gentlemen that really kind of spearheaded the the founding of, of the gasparilla music festival one, two, all three of them, musicians, musical backgrounds, and anything like that? Uh, no, none of them. In fact, um, I don't think anyone on the board, uh, believe it or not, plays an instrument. Wow. Um, so it's, it's really from a fame's perspective. It's really like, you know, what can we bring to this community? What can we bring to downtown? What can we bring to this city um, to, make, uh, to make it proud, to reflect um, some light on it and uh, bring attention to what we feel is a really great city? 
Are you, in fact, a musician in any way? I'm not at, at all. In <laughs> fact, I'm the opposite. Uh, but um, I do feel as if, uh, for me in particular, um, is the reason why I love music so much. Um, the fact that I can't sing and I can't play an instrument, uh, but I can go to music and get releases, and I can go to music and understand that this person has a gift and they're sharing it. Um, and for those particular reasons, I've always ended up really kind of gravitating to those moments in music and live music and even at home that um you know particularly resonate within me i'm gonna pick out a certain word that you said there because i want you to clarify for the listeners you said releases now you're not talking about licensing copyright releases permissions you're talking about i'm talking about a spiritual human release more you know that can um, the connection that one would get with um, with music, uh, with song, and with uh, creating at concerts and being around people that you love or individuals. Those moments when you know you can kind of sort of forget about your troubles and forget about life for a little bit and just kind of uh, release, you know, up into it and 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 uh, kind of get grounded and feel like tomorrow is going to be a good day. Okay, you're you're selling this really good, so I'm gonna I'm gonna believe that that I'm gonna be successful in asking you is this sounds like it's coming from a personal experience where you must have had some musical event that was a release for you for some reason or another absolutely i've had several of them um and i think that that's why i love music so much um because they sort of happen periods in my life when i need them um, one of the most monumental ones was shortly after September 11th. I was living in New York City at the time and mm. working in a restaurant. And when all that happened, I ended up working about 17, 18 straight days. Oof. You know, it was a lockdown. I'm sleeping in the bottom of the restaurant because you don't know when wow. the delivery trucks are going to come. Wow. So when they finally lifted the band and everything sort of, you know, got some normalcy, I hauled and ended up... Uh, going to Chicago to catch a Bob Dylan show at, at the old uh, United Center there. You caught a flight just to go see Bob? Like to like, get out of New York, you, to get out of New York, to distance myself. Was there a reason why you picked the city of Chicago? Because Dylan was going to be there. Wow, um, wow. It just happened to coincide, wow. so I ended up waiting wow. a few days and flying out. Uh, basically drove straight to my friend's house and dropped off my things and then took a taxi. Uh, but uh, being there and, and um, was the first moments that I think that I'd really had alone. My, the first, first moments that I'd really been able able to kind of release all of this um, anxiety and worry and pressure and and being a manager of a restaurant, having a staff kind of looking at you and only being 26, it was a pretty heavy burden. And it was because of my connection to Dylan in particular and also music in particular that sort of allowed me a, a little bit of reprieve, you know, just mm-hmm. one of those moments in life. You're like, all right, man, like you're going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Um, and, uh, you know, just uh, spending time in your own mind, you know, sometimes as Dylan says, you kind of have to give yourself a good talking to, and that, that was one of those moments, you know, uh, definitely, and, and uh, it's stayed with me, and, and what makes me go see live music. That's awesome. I, I, I can, you know, you're being a good storyteller, I can kind of imagine the groundswell of emotions for you in, in the arena that night, and, and it sounds to me like it's kind of almost one of those, dare I say, it's okay for men to cry kind of nights. Absolutely. There's some crying going on. I got my big boy boots on, I can tell you that. <laughs> Um, for sure, yeah, it was definitely a, a moving moment, um, and I think that um, that that's why people love music so much. You know, maybe I'm uh, able to talk about it more clearly than someone else, but you know, I see people. I go to live music. I see people having those those same moments, and I'm happy for them. Do you know what I mean? Like to be able to connect with something outside themselves. I think we all need that. I don't want to get too far off track here, but just out of curiosity, uh, 
uh, number one, was that your first ever Bob Dylan concert? And number two, like big Dylan fan, I take it? Uh, uh, I'm a huge Dylan fan. No, that was not my first Dylan show. That okay. was uh, around my 14th. Um, I've seen him around 25 times or so. I've seen other musicians nice. more, but nice. he in particular is my okay, man. Okay, okay. Now you, now you got to tell me, who have you seen more than him, and, and, and what's the approximate number? Um, I saw four years straight of the Allman Brothers at the Beacon Theater, their 13-night runs when I lived in New York. Wow. I've seen Fish in the 60s. I've seen uh, Widespread Panic in the 70s. Um, I've seen Dave Matthews in the 80s and 90s. i um, kind wow. of lost track wow. with him a little bit. Um, but uh, Bonnaroo, 10 years in a row. Um, and now I kind of reside more on like the radio head and, and uh, my morning jacket fan. Mm. Uh, just took my nine year old son to see, uh, some black keys, uh, two nights ago, awesome. which was quite awesome. wonderful. Yes. Yeah. Uh, my brother has a, uh, do the math quickly, uncle Bruce, a 11 and a half year old son who has now seen queen, uh, thanks to, thanks to his dad, uh, and, and his dad, uh, my brother has seen rush well over a hundred times. So, um, those are, those are impressive numbers for, for the acts that you're rattling off. Yeah. Uh, even more amazing is that I can still remember what the third and final follow-up question was that I wanted to ask you before we got off on that tangent. Uh, cause you were talking about, um, the three founders, if I can call them that, uh, not being musicians yourself, not being one. Um, but I know that you come from a, a I mean, you mentioned working at a restaurant, a food and beverage background. Did you ever even have on your resume in your experience that that maybe made you attractive to the to the Gasparilla Music Festival? Because I know in my industry, a lot of times if I'm trying to book clients to play a hotel wherever, a lot of times I'm dealing with the food and beverage director. And I just wonder if maybe you had any experience with that in the past where you kind of said, well, you know, I did some booking as the food and beverage guy at such and such. Yes or no? Yes, I have booked um, bands before at, at uh, other restaurants that I've worked at and other jobs that I've worked at. Uh, but the, in this particular um, instance for uh, GMF, I think it was more of my um, maybe opinions and the fact that I had gone to see a lot of live music um, that helped me out and helps me pick bands. Uh, we try to research as much as we can possibly too. So I kind of spend some of my own time looking at other bands uh, and be able to talk intelligently about it. But um, <laughs> yeah, that's it's uh, kind of the gig there. Well, I'd like to get into the logistics of putting on the Gasparilla Music Festival. For I'll ask you the question, but I want to kind of explain where I'm coming from in this. For instance, you know, if you could tell us what the year-round staff size is versus the total number of people involved during the actual event, and and then what the various roles are that go into organizing and putting on an event of this magnitude. And the reason I'm asking that is because I feel as though fans or say attendees of music festivals look at those events through rose-colored glasses they see this big attractive event and they think there's probably just an overflow of bodies that are involved in some way shape or form in putting this on and they can't understand you know why they can't maybe get a free ticket or get their own band in because of this reason that they feel is justified and that type of thing so I know you can only speak to your own event, but what is the the structure and and the the, the organization and and as I said, the logistics of of putting on an event of of this scope? Well, as far as the employees, there's there's really only one, and, and that's me. 
Um, so you're you're looking at them and listening to them. Uh, we're a nonprofit organization. That's why we're set up. So um, the rest of the board are in fact volunteers, and each board is um, each board member is pretty much a hands-on individual. They're not taking time off. You know, come game time for the two-day festival, they're on site. You know, basically 48 hours. That's just the way it is. And then um, on the off season, each board member is pretty much responsible for a particular committee uh, per se. We have a talent committee head. We have a a green initiative committee head. We have uh, a budget committee head, so on and so forth. So they're all pretty active uh, individuals. Some people wear multiple hats. They may be the chair of one committee and sit on another committee. Uh, But for the most part, it's it's hands-on. And and we're all responsible to raise money. We're all responsible to do our part. And it's definitely not a a non-working board. When you you come on, you're, you're expected to pull your weight. So there's one employee. Uh, I think you said there's 13 board members. That's a lot of bosses you just named. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, and I, I know that as the executive director, you probably have a, a number uh, right at your fingertips in terms of the number of volunteers that are, that are part of an event like this? Absolutely. Last year was our best year yet, and we ended up with over 600 volunteers. Wow. Uh, it was also the wow. first year that we implemented a lot of like um, uh, just really great organization, and that stemmed from one of our board members. Uh, her name is Reagan, and she did a really good job, but we basically sort of took it just like any other corporation or company and being like, all right, uh, who's at the top? That person's going to be me. Uh, GMF uh, sits on the side of two different parks, so we had a Curtis Sixon Park Manager and a Kylie Park Manager, and uh, each one of those people was responsible for everything that happened on on their at their particular park, and so on and so forth. And you got these levels down. Uh, we called this management crew our roadies, which were pretty great. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, so we had a roadie that was responsible for just the uh, corporate tent. We had a roadie that was responsible for just the VIP tent. We had a roadie responsible just for entrance one, just for box office, so on and so forth. Then those people had general volunteers underneath them, uh, and they spent a lot of time. We spent a lot of time uh, uh, basically teaching them, like, this is the process. This is what's going to be happening. Mm. Uh, And uh, that really worked well for us. And I think uh, the organization um, of both the festival and the board really kind of showcased last year. So you said there's 13 board members. Does that mean that there's 13 committees or not necessarily? No, not necessarily, no. Um, There's not 13 committees. Um, But uh, there are just... You know, there may be multiple people. Our sponsorship committee is basically headed up by two. That's why they were brought onto the board too. So uh, that's kind of their I expertise yeah, and, yeah. and uh, their connections, and and so that's it's been really great that so way. So is it safe to assume then that perhaps again, listeners, you have to understand that Ty has pointed out that these board members are volunteers. They're they're part of the Gasparilla Music Festival on a volunteer basis. Even though you're hearing a title that's impressive, such as board member. But is it safe to assume then that, say, they are brought in to be a board member because in their everyday nine-to-five life, that's what they're doing is, say, the the person who's heading up the sponsorship committee is probably doing sponsorships for a living at his or her regular day job? I think so. You could probably say that. Um, We started off with 12 um, individuals, and there are now um, still 10 involved. So it's a pretty tight-knit group, each one of them you know, coming to the table. Uh, And even if they didn't have... particular expertise in, in the particular job, they've ended up learning it, um, which is really, really great, and taking the time outside of their normal jobs to be like, okay, I think that I can do this. I have some experience to do it, uh, and I think that's what helped us out. I'm curious. In a few minutes, we're going to talk about the bands that 
would want to play at something like this. Do you ever get people that that contact you and say, "I want to be a board member"? Uh, yeah, of course, of course. You know, with with every successful business um, comes you know opportunity, and people say, "Hey, man, this is a really great event." And I think that's really really key um, is the fact that we have. Um, an extremely loyal and um, devoted fan base. Um, they come for the music, but they also come for the many other facets. Um, and I feel that, that that's probably uh, one of those things that from the outside, as you mentioned, looks all shiny and nice. Uh, and, and it is. It's a great, I think, an honorable um, organization to be a part of. But at the same time, it's hard work. And sometimes people get in and they look around. They're like, man, I, I, I didn't really expect to be doing this. Uh, it's a working board. We don't sit on a, and around a board table and make decisions and have someone else do it and if they do that that someone else is me (laughs) (laughs) but but how how difficult is it when you get a really qualified person uh, i'm going to use the cliche from corporate america that wants to be on the board and number one you not only have to tell them look we only have so many seats but number two you don't want to turn them off because maybe in fact they can still in some way contribute to the festival how how do you how do you kind of juggle that we find something for them do you know the the board in itself is the board but we have so many other facets um maybe they could sit as a uh you know a junior um um committee member um they could end up helping um raise money through selling vip tickets they could end up being like hey if you're really uh, interested we need someone to help with cash pickup um if they're you know very very close to, to one of the board members um can you volunteer for this particular day and do this particular thing to kind of see if this is really what what you want to be doing and what it's about so you can get a little bit of, of what's behind the curtain and really see if you're involved so we try to do that for those particular members and some of our members that's how they started they started Started off as a volunteer, and they wow. put in the time and effort. Wow. And so, why would you not want to reward that? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's that's one of the other really great reasons um, to continue to just kind of find people. And even when we do, we try to find something that they would be interested in doing. I want to back up because you said something briefly that I think deserves to have more attention put on it, which was you mentioned training of volunteers and. That's very admirable, and I and I commend the festival that there's that level of desire to be so T's crossed and, and I's dotted that you're putting volunteers through training. But at the same time, no matter how hard you try, I have to believe that these people, again, will continue to use that it's shiny, you know, kind of analogy. And, and I think of... Um, you know what I'm getting at is is training these volunteers as best as you can and preparing them as stringently as as the program will allow. And yet I think of, you know, kids that get drafted into the NHL and they say, "Great, I'm drafted by the Tampa Bay Lightning and you know, now it gets to the next level, which is okay, well now I'm at training camp and now I'm actually on the same ice with Steven Stamkos and Ryan Callahan and and Victor Hedman and all of a sudden they're playing in the Amelie Arena, and there's 19,000 people in the building, and it's like, wait a minute, you know, this is, I thought I was prepared, I was skating on the same ice with these guys, they were confident enough in me to draft them, so as much as you train these volunteers, I have to believe that it's just human nature that once that date hits, when the festival starts, they're standing in Curtis Hickson Park or wherever they're assigned to, and they're seeing this huge turnout of fans <laughs> that are waiting, and they're going, oh, no. 
Uh, I believe so, yeah. I think there's two rules. Don't take anything personally and wear your big boy boots. Which is like, <laughs> come on, strap it on. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be crazy, but it's going to be fun. And we try to provide good energy for them. We try to give them the information. We try to give them examples of what has happened in the past. If this particular thing happens, these are your options. You know, go get the person above you. Get on the radio. Contact volunteer. Um, if it's someone that's fun, that's having fun or having too much fun, what are the, what's protocol for that? So those things are laid down so then they can feel a little bit more at ease and they're not so, you know, a deer in headlights if you'll have it. I think that that adds to the overall feel of the festival, that, that je ne sais quoi that you, that you find. They're like, man, this just feels good. The vibe is good. Um, and I think that having educated um, individuals in places um, of high impact where they're touching a lot of people, where they're in contact with a lot of people, bartenders, um, uh, people that are selling beer, the vendors, the whole vibe. I think that that's that's really important. I'm tempted uh, to to tease the up and coming musicians that are listening by saying after the break we'll ask Ty <laughs> dot dot dot. Uh, but I've got time now, so so here's the big one, Ty. That that they've been waiting for me to ask you. Describe then the approach to booking the acts that perform, and and I guess I would ask you to include in that advice to. Or, or advice against uh, those that would want to apply in, in air quotes, but then also maybe even advice to acts who want to apply to play at, at festivals in general. Um, I think trying is the first way. Um, I think that every major festival has a avenue upon which um, you to submit music. I would suggest using that avenue. Uh, with the Gasparilla Music Festival in particular, we use a company and a website called Sonic Bids. Mm-hmm. You go in, it's basically like an electronic EPA, um, EPK that ends up happening. We, you upload your information, the, and then we on the back end go in and listen to it. We communicate through email through the website, letting you know that you've been chosen and you haven't been chosen. Uh, and that's just a really great way, um, for us to kind of control some of these, um, random people that just kind of hear about it and be like, man, this is going to be great to play and get it in. As far as the upper level bands are concerned, then that's a, that's a totally different animal. Um, a lot of it depends on what we call the board. We have different slots at different times and each one of those slots and each one of those times basically gets assigned a cash value. Um, and then we end up, you know, from the very top of that line within that box or within that grid, put the best band that we would like to book. And we actually have multiple bands. The reason why we have multiple bands or any music festival would have multiple bands is because the headliner or mid-tier um, for at least for our festival is we're trying to be diverse. So if you're going to you know, last year we had the Flaming Lips that's an alt-rock band so we were able to kind of do a little bit maybe bluegrass and country in the middle leading up to that we do not want to be pigeonholed into one genre of music diversity has worked for us I think it's one of the key components of what Gasparilla Music Festival is so that sort of uh, juxtaposition position of who the headliner is and who the middle axe is that's how we sort of take care of that anything above you know or below twenty thousand dollars that's a different story i think that's where kind of the sonic bids come in town but you know you're you're never going to get picked unless you submit so i would never tell someone not to submit mm-hmm. i would tell someone not to stock a board member <laughs> that's probably not a, a way that you want to get in but it happens do you know what i mean um and so that's uh that's those are a couple different avenues uh but 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 stocking a board member to me I think well there could be there could be exceptions but I would think that it would imply the point I'm trying to make is I would think that there are probably local acts that 
think that just because they're local, they should be in it when in fact, you're not only booking local acts to play in it. So there are a number of factors that you're looking for and that the decisions are being based on. Absolutely. Um, you know, we, we try for the 50-50, 50 local and 50 outside of the state. The ones outside of the state, we even look into like, all right, m- let's make sure we kind of cover the United States. Do we have something from New Orleans? Do we wow. have something from Brooklyn? Wow. Do we have something from L.A.? Wow. Uh, if it's local, are they all from Tampa or some of them from St. Pete or some are from Clearwater? How many are female bands? How many have a female uh, front singer? How many are all female? How many are electronic? So once you start to go down that system, you know, that rabbit hole until you get to like that um, perfect band where you're like, yeah, that's absolutely great. We also take into consideration when the sun sets, the time always changes. Mm. Daylight savings is always on Sunday. So what band is going to be playing at Curtis Sixon or at Kylie as the sun sets over the minarets? You know, that that even to be takes, you know, takes in, we take into consideration. So, um, yeah, it's. It's it's a great big bubble. Um, it's not done by one person. It's done by committee. There's four or five of us that kind of sit in a room and just throw everything on the board. And, and as the days and weeks go by, as we start to give bids out, things start to shape. And then you're able to say, okay, this particular bands or these particular types of bands are going to come in uh, at this particular genre. What's in front of them and what's on top of them. And, uh, you know, with four different stages, we have some, some latitudes, 40 bands. You know, that's a lot. So we try to try to represent both the national and the local for the listeners that are multitasking and continuing to listen to this while you google the word minarets what ty is referring to is <laughs> what sits atop the university of tampa uh the the building and it's in its rich history and henry b plant museum etc okay now it's time for bruce's bonus this is a segment here on now hear this entertainment where i take off my hat as podcast host and put on my hat as president of now hear this incorporated giving a helpful tip for the listeners that are musicians singers songwriters entertainers who are out there trying hard to make a go of it today's bonus is to thank people that's right show some gratitude but in this case i'm talking specifically about the audience members at your live shows Not just saying thank you from the stage, but actually mingling in the crowd and having a genuine conversation with them. That time will make an impact on those people that could result in them becoming followers of yours and, in turn, bringing out more people to see you. And that is today's Bruce's Bonus. I do want to ask a specific question selfishly because... I know that when I try to submit clients to different festivals, oftentimes when they're not chosen, my clients will ask me, did they say why not? Do you have the time to get back to everybody that you're saying no to, especially if it's through Sonic Bids and everything is very electronic? It's not really, and this is not a statement against Sonic Bids, but it's not really user-friendly. It's not like just clicking reply on someone's email and saying, you know, and, and this wouldn't apply to you, but for instance, if someone doesn't do their homework and they're applying to a country music festival and they're a hard rock band, someone can hit reply and say, sorry, but we're a country music festival and we looked at your website and y'all are playing hard rock. Do, do, is there any window for you to, to let people know why they didn't get chosen? That's a great question. At this particular moment, um, we have found that Sonic Bids is the best outlet. Um, if we happen to know someone personally, then we may say, hey, listen, maybe not this year. It doesn't fit into what going on but to um reply to all of them you would need i would need a handler i would need an assistant just to to handle that sort of thing you're going to be handling all this um whenever a board member or someone else 
um, um, submits music. Everything does go in front of the talent committee. Um, it is mentioned. Everything is listened to. Every board member suggestion is is looked at and uh, is listened and vetted out. Um, if we feel that it doesn't fit in, sometimes it's about money. Sometimes it's about genre. Sometimes it's about just being in town. Um, we already have two bands from Tampa. We can't do another one. Um, so we would hope that the understanding and the goodwill of you know, running the festival, they could understand that. Um, but, um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough question. You know, I, I think that we wish we would could probably do more, but at this particular time with one employee, <laughs> um, Sonic bids acts as our, you know, as our, employee. I must say though, that I admire the transparency because certainly there are people, it's, it's impressive that you said that even if somebody does know a board member, they're not automatically in, they're going to get put into this, into the, into the assembly line the same way as everyone else. That way it's clear that, look, that might be how their stuff got here, but it doesn't mean that they're definitely getting picked. So, so hats off. Uh, Thank you for, for that. Yeah. Thank you. Um, we're, we're a little off schedule here. Um, I, I do have one more question, but, but I want to uh, just um, do a reset here. I am Bruce Wozniak and joining me here today in the studio is Ty Rodriguez, the executive director of the Gasparilla music festival happening March 7th and 8th in downtown Tampa. Visit the official website at www.gasparillamusic.com. The festival is also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and there are links to each of those social media sites at gasparillamusic.com. Be sure that you're also checking out www.nowhearthis.biz, that's H-E-A-R, and sign up for the e-newsletter there and subscribe to this podcast and tell others about it too. Subscribing is free and it makes it so easy to get the show every week. It will actually just download automatically when a new episode comes out so you don't have to go looking for it. Feel free to use the social media buttons on nowhearthis.biz to like the Now Hear This page on Facebook and or become a Twitter follower. And please, I would love to hear your feedback about the show, including even some questions you would like me to ask to guests on future episodes. You can post all that on the Facebook page that I just mentioned or send an email. The email address is on the contact page of nowhearthis.biz. So, Ty, the uh, one remaining question I was going to ask in all that is, how far do you drill down in your review of these, I'll call them applicants? Do you look at this particular this particular act, how many Twitter followers they have, how many Facebook likes they have, how many views and subscribers they're getting on YouTube, or is that just kind of a myth? No, that's that's absolutely correct. Polestar is a, is a great um, tool for that sort of thing. It kind of gives you some data of exactly what's going on when the last time they were in town, what their gross was, how many tickets they actually sold. If it's a local promoter, we can actually call the promoter and be like, hey, I saw that so-and-so was here last time at your venue. What did you think? What kind of crowd was it? What kind of demographics did they bring? Um, but no, that, that that's vastly important, and that's that's uh, that's definitely um, something that is considered, and I think anyone that's not considered Considering that, you know, should be. I mean, I think that's just kind of uh, music 101. Well, set the record straight, though, because I used the example about a country music festival and someone doesn't do their homework and they're just kind of canvassing the nation yeah. with, with applications. So in terms of, and again, I know you can only speak for your event and I want you to, the Gasparilla Music Festival... Original music only. You allow covers. It depends. What? Where do you come down on that side? That's of- a that's a great question. Um, we uh, we kind of shy away from the cover bands. It's basically just uh, original music. Um, we don't have the same band play twice. 
Uh, Spam All-Stars has played twice, but not back-to-back years. Uh, we just booked Hit Abduction this year. They've never played back-to-back, but there is, you know, um, this is going to be their second year playing. So we always sort of kind of give it a break. Um, that adds, uh, lets us add diversity to, um, you know, to the lineup year in and year out and just have a unique musical experience for that particular year. Impressive, I must say, that just because you got in to play one year doesn't mean that you're there to stay and just kind of mark those dates off on your calendar every year. Because I think some people kind of think once they show up at a festival once that it's it's their spot to lose when, in fact, you're saying, look, at least with ours, I can tell you, you're not here on an annual basis. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but back to the, the, the covers and the originals, are there any exceptions to cover to, to somebody that well we might let these folks do covers would there be a reason for that yeah we actually end up um the layout is on four stages and one of them is a what we call the tibbets corner stage it's kind of a community stage to start off as local performers and stuff and it's usually the stage that we allow a kids band to kind of tie into our kids programming which is really great so if they ended up doing a cover it would be a little bit different but to believe but believe it or not the bands that we have play, had play there do actually play you know, ridge their own their own music. <laughs> so that's been really, really great. But that's about the only time that's got a little bit of a gray area there. For the most part, we sort of want some uh, some people that are that they're writing and, and creating on their own. Well, I, I want to just kind of, I guess, put a disclaimer here at this point in the interview because I'm about to throw you another compliment, and, and people need to know Ty coming to the studio today, first time we ever met. You know, we we talked maybe once or twice briefly over emailed it to set up this this interview. Um, so, I mean, I'm just really impressed by by everything that he's saying, and I'm going to bring up another one in a minute. But, you know, again, this this appearance on the podcast is not an endorsement of the festival. It's not a sponsorship. You know, this, the festival is not paying to be on the show. Um, and so I just wanted that to be clear that my motivation here today was we have so many performers on week after week after week that I felt it important for the up-and-comers that I continue to address for them to hear about the operation of putting on a music festival. You know, we've tried to bring you listeners, especially those of you that are up-and-coming performers, a few different aspects of the music business from time to time. Here at Crystal Blue Sound Studios, we had uh, Dominic Pages himself talk about the recording environment instead of so much about the performance part of the business. Uh, Look up an episode with uh, with June McHugh, she talked all about having owned a, a music publishing company on Music Row in Nashville for, I want to say, six years. Uh, Bruce Barker, longtime radio man from, from up in Ontario, Canada, he was a guest on here. So hopefully today's show is, is entertaining. I mean, I, I think Ty is giving a lot of great information about the festival, but it's really meant to give some really good insight as to the, the magnitude of, of an event of this nature. So circling back now, Ty... Um, Thank you for bearing with me on that, for staying awake during it. Uh, (laughs) I think, um, you know, the the fact that you're mentioning a kid's aspect of a festival is tremendous because generally the, the attitude when someone is going to see live music is either you and your girlfriend, you and your boyfriend, or you and your spouse are going to, say, a concert or a festival where if you have children you need to get a sitter or it's you're taking your daughter to go see Miranda Cosgrove and you're going, Oh boy, this ought to be a real thrill for the next two hours. And in fact, you're saying, no, the whole family can come to, to ours. Absolutely. I think it's one of those things that we found after the first year that really worked for us too. Um, 
being that you could come and celebrate seeing music, having the kids run around, being a family affair, then arranging a babysitter, maybe dropping off the kids because of the reentry or having someone come pick them up, you know, and then coming back and, and making a date night out of it with your wife or your husband or boyfriend and girlfriend, I think just is one of those things that add a, a level of, um, of just coolness and greatness and funness to the festival and one day you can have a family event uh, affair and you can also end up having um you know a romantic evening or a blowout evening and i think that that's that's pretty great yeah very, very much so and um obviously uh, an aspect of the festival that i would imagine that you would want to continue to see grow as the festival grows over the years uh, i i do want to go back to you mentioned at one point, you know, the, the, the headliners, so to speak, in, in different levels. But, but continuing the discussion about the acts that get booked for the Gasparilla Music Festival, I'd like you to continue to enlighten the listeners, and again, most of the performers that are listening, as far as the festival paying performers, as opposed to a lot of them which will say, well, you know, this is just good exposure, and it's, and it's good for these acts to have this on their resume, because you've stated... I mean, not at great length, but the fact that that you are paying. So, um, you know, why was the decision made? Um, just you know, talk about the, the the compensation aspect. Yeah, we would love for some really great <laughs> bands to perform free. Uh, I, that's the best thing I've ever heard. Um, that that would be really great. We've never been in that particular situation. That's not the way it was set up. I think that sometimes when you have that, then uh, maybe there's some uh, overlining. Um, concern of what the bands that you're booking and maybe you get too much of one band because these certain bands we pay the bands therefore we're able to say hey listen we've picked you you're going to be performing and and uh you know we're honored for you to come and we hope that you have a good time from the moment that you step on campus but um that yeah that that would be really great it would definitely help uh with budgetary <laughs> constraints which is always what we're up against you know well, these particular is years. this a situation where this is what we're offering at this level, take it or leave it, or are we talking about actual negotiations that go on and, and certain acts having riders and, and all that type of thing? Absolutely. I think that the single greatest thing that I realized with working at the Gasparilla Music Festival is how little I knew about the actual booking of music. Um, when, when people are like, oh, well, you just can, you know, just go book them. Th- that is not at all. <laughs> that's not a reality. Um, it's managers and it's waiting. And there's this new, from what we're learning, this new festival sort of feel where you know normally a band is is grossing maybe fifty thousand dollars they hear the word festival and it's tripled so now you're paying one hundred and fifty thousand dollars you know for for a band that may have costed fifty thousand dollars if they're on tour are they on tour are they not on tour is it one off is someone's sister's best friend's sister's boyfriend <laughs> getting married you know a little Ferris Bueller quote there but yeah that's that's um that's the way it is you know and so these people that you run into like oh why don't you just book them or like that band costs four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Like you know, and I think that there's a huge misconception um, of people um, related to how much it takes to actually get that band booked. And as what you mentioned, the writers and are they on tour and do they fit? And hey, we're only nine thousand dollars, but we have this incredible light panel that costs nine thousand dollars <laughs> from Kansas City, and we're not going to travel without them. Which is a true story. Wow. You know, we uh-huh. lost a band this year that wow. way. So that sort of thing happens and that that's a reality uh and it's eye-opening very much so i'm sure i'm Hmm. sure well uh looking ahead here to just a few months from now and then i guess into the future as well what are some of the goals for for this next one that's coming up here as, as well as ongoing what types of additions what types of growth 
would would you and the board like to aim for? I think um, just basically tacking everything down, making sure that everything is absolutely run to the best of the abilities. I compare um, year four to year two, um, where the first year we sort of looked at everything as a one-day festival and, and where we could improve, uh, what could we do. Uh, and then I still look at year four as, the, as I, I did that year, where now it's a two-day festival and we're looking at, hey, what, what can we do to make this better? The festival goers experience is absolutely at the prime of everything that we do. Mm. What is it that they're going to see as soon as they walk in through the grounds? What is their ticket buying experience going to be like when they walk into the grounds? What's that going to be like? Where do their eyes go? You know, do we need a flag somewhere? Um, you know, last year we had these concierges. They weared, um, they wore this uh, uh, question mark shirt. So when you walked in, they could be there to help you out to say, "Hey, you look like you're over 21. If so, here's the 21 year old ID line. There's your beeline. The food is going to be over." here so those sorts of things are going to end up uh you know really helping us and help us every year but absolutely more important than that is what the city of tampa is doing the river walk is still being built um mm-hmm. this river walk is being built for the past 10 years <laughs> it's supposed to connect four different parks and if that were to happen then you know what would gmf look like if we went and extended to all these parks which is obviously an option that's not done this year it's not going to be completed or open for the uh, 2015 season uh but for the most part you know we're, we're looking forward to that we've actually even talked about blowing out the top of um the festival and actually closing off ashley street so Uh you know when we sit down at the end of the festival it's all about how do we make it better for the fans how do we make this a better community event how do we make this represent tampa more and that's very impressive because we all know as attendees of concerts of festivals i mean even those of us that are in the music business as you said we're fans too you you go to bob dylan shows i go see rush i go see whoever and and when you're going to something that you've never been to before it's not you know going to concert after concert at amelie arena it's uh oh i've never been to this place so right off the bat the minute you're parking you're wait a minute where am i parking here where's this guy pointing me to and how far am i going to be from the entrance and then when you do get in the entrance wait a minute are there tickets are there wristbands which way am i going so for you to say we thought of all that, Bruce. We're, we've, we're making sure that people are one step ahead. That way, when the people do walk in, they go, oh, I guess we just go right over there. <laughs> that was really easy. Right, right. And I think that that's what separates um, us or any musical venue or any other business. When you look at it from the customer's eyes, I think that that sort of changes their pers- the perspective of, of what you're doing. And, and uh, every year, I, I would really love you know, for us to, to think back at all the things that we did right, but we really kind of focus on the things that we did wrong um, and then try to improve on that and build on that. Uh, lessons learned so far, Ty, what kind, kind of a kind of a what has worked well and why and, and what hasn't worked well and why? I think that I sort of mentioned it a few minutes ago. I thought we've been surprised the, the children's um, area, the children's programming, the focus on the family um, has really been really incredible for us. Uh, the food vendors, all local. We have absolutely no um, corporate-run restaurants. Um, I think that that's really, really helped us out, too. Uh, when people ask me this question, I, I sort of think of like an onion. 
where the the music um, is is sort of the outer layer of the onion. And uh, with some festivals, once you peel peel that away, you're really left with kind of you know you really don't know what to do with it. But mm-hmm. at GMF, you know, then you have the children's you know layer and the festival and the festivities and the programming there. And then underneath there, all of a sudden you get to you know 15 food vendors that are all local and that are absolutely doing a great job and are only serving one or two items instead of 15 because <laughs> you know services mean something to us and we don't want long lines and having local brew uh, and uh, and supporting the local businesses and, and downtown in particular all of those sort of layers they all add to something to where you know it, the music is the focal point but there's so much more going on and I think um, that in particular is a success that we would have never known until we got into it. The music is the focal point, and I spent a lot of time asking you, and I explained the reason why, but I spent a lot of time asking you about how the x book, but but I'm interested that you just mentioned local food vendors. I, I saw in parentheses that you were saying only, and it makes me wonder, similar to musical acts, do you get food vendors from, I mean, I'm wanting to say out of town, but from perhaps as close as, as Orlando or Miami throughout the state, Jacksonville, and, and maybe elsewhere in the country that, that want to come and, and have a spot at the festival? Absolutely, yeah. It's, ju- it's, just, as, um, wow. it's just as competitive, and, and people are always uh-huh. emailing. The food venues, I mean, the food um, vendors are a little bit different only because it's it's their first right of refusal. So the only way a new vendor can come in is if another vendor would uh-huh. love. Some of these people have stuck out, um, stuck with me from the very beginning mm-hmm. when I sold them just an idea. <laughs> (laughs) Some of them, this is the only catering job that they do all year. Wow. You know, we have a James Beard Award nominated chef that comes out uh, and he's traveling around and comes back for the show. So there's little things like that that kind of really help the the food vendor aspect of that. But yes, we definitely get a lot of people asking. I am Bruce Wozniak and joining me today here in the studio is Ty Rodriguez, the executive director of the Gasparilla Music Festival happening March 7th and 8th in downtown Tampa. Visit the official event website at www.gasparillamusic.com. The festival is also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. There are links to each of those social media sites at gasparillamusic.com. Be sure that you're also checking out www.nowhearthis.biz, spelled H-E-A-R, and sign up for the e-newsletter there and subscribe to this podcast and tell others about it too, friends, family, coworkers, neighbors. Subscribing is free, and it makes it so easy to get the show every week. It'll just download automatically when a new episode comes out, so you don't even have to go looking for it. Feel free to use the social media buttons on nowhearthis.biz to like the Now Hear This page on Facebook and or become a Twitter follower. And please, I would very much welcome your feedback about the show, including even some questions you would like me to ask to guests on future episodes. You can post all of that on that Facebook page that I just mentioned or send it in an email. The email address is on the contact page of nowhearthis.biz. I do have to wonder, Ty, do you view other music festivals in this area as competition and and why or why not? And, And for that matter, if the answer is yes, what is done to make yours stand out from them? I think that um, that answer is probably no. Um, being a fan and and, and um, loving music, I think uh, for myself and, and and the people involved in the board uh, and why we started it, which was to bring music to the community. We we would never feel as if anybody was competition. We we would embrace that. Um, you know, I sometimes use my connection to go. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> bring my kids and and uh, you know and have a good time that way. But you know, Tampa was 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 
there was a there was a there was room for this. There was room for for a musical festival and festivals to come in, and uh, I really hope that everyone feels that way. But I, I don't personally feel any competition towards anyone. Um, there are sometimes they have um, outlets and they have a financial uh, budget that's able to bring bands that we really wanted and we really couldn't do. So I think that that just adds to the cultural landscape of what Tampa is, both musically and community based. I had asked you earlier some of the goals that that you and the board might have at some point. And when you're talking about budgets that you don't have yet and levels of musicians that you're not able to have yet, is there, is there this vision that at some point there could be, there could come a day when the Katy Perry's and the Bruno Mars of the world are playing at the Gasparilla Music Festival, or is that not what this festival is designed to become? No, I mean, I think that that, that that's always a goal. I don't know if those, Two particular <laughs> artists would be on the board per se. I think that uh, a Tom Petty or, you know, like a Black Keys or, um, you know, a My Morning Jacket. Um, I think uh, an, a band like that, that's probably a little bit uh, more catered towards our, um, um, our demographic would probably do a little bit better. But yes, I mean, striving, becoming better, becoming bigger, becoming um, a bigger community event, showcasing Tampa, being more organized. Um, that's always our goal. Do you know what I mean? Uh, we don't we don't really rest on our laurels too much at GMF. A lot of us are, are made up such that even when you're not working, you're still working. I wonder when you mentioned before that you would use your connections going to some other festivals, even if you're there with the kids and you're trying to be dad and you're not trying to be Ty Rodriguez, the executive director of the GMF, are you still kind of making mental notes or maybe, you know, putting a couple things in the phone of, of good observations that you saw at these events? Or is it, look, Bruce, you know, I got to have some dad time. No, 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 no. It's, <laughs> I'm in it to win it. Yeah, I'm always yeah. Uh, tr- trying to pay attention. If it's not just a ticketing system that maybe someone's using, it's how they're um, ushering guests between either stages. Um, what kind of food are they offering? You know, are they doing linen? Are they not doing linen? If they're not doing linen, what type of table? All of those things are constantly kind of, you know, in my head and getting stored um and i think that that's what makes us you know um a unique environment and and really great to uh, a really great event to come and see us at you've mentioned that a whole family can attend this but is there say a, a target audience for for the festival in terms of attendees what what is what is the demographic um it's pretty wide open and diverse you know it's the same thing with the music we try to keep everything going um Basically, it's um, it's from 24 to 40 with a lot of our sponsors and stuff. Uh, but uh, it's really um, it's really for everyone. The festival is a nonprofit corporation. So explain to the listeners why this event gets done since it's not to turn a profit. Um, it's for the community. It's for us. It's for the fans. It's for anyone that has ever been inspired by music. Um, it's a chance to come out and celebrate your city within the downtown limits. It's a chance to, to, uh, reconnect and connect. Um, I think that there's nothing more contagious than music, you know, maybe besides enthusiasm, but if you put those two things together, then I think that you have a pretty good day in the, in the life of, uh, you know, uh, of anybody. Um, and so, uh, the nonprofit was just to let everyone know that, that that's where we stood. That's where that's, that's the line in our sand. This is about us and them and our community. Well, thank you. As a, as a proud resident of the greater Tampa Bay area, thank you for putting on the festival. And, and obviously, thank you uh, for your time today and being a guest on the show. Absolutely. It was my pleasure.
I would like to close by formally thanking my guest, Ty Rodriguez, the executive director of the Gasparilla Music Festival. Again, check out the event website. It's www.gasparillamusic.com. And as I've mentioned, the festival is also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. There are links to each of those social media sites at gasparillamusic.com. Don't forget to visit www.nowhearthis.biz and sign up for the email newsletter there by simply putting in your email address. And of course, please do subscribe to this podcast and tell your friends about it. Give us a nice review on iTunes or Stitcher Radio 2, hopefully accompanied by a five-star rating, which actually helps the show quite a bit. If you're listening on SoundCloud, remember that you can like and share episodes there, and you can also follow on SoundCloud, which is just like subscribing. As I mentioned before, let's get your feedback on the show, too. Post your comments or questions you would like asked on future episodes on the Now Hear This Facebook page. There are links to it and Twitter, and even the Now Hear This official YouTube channel on nowhearthis.biz, or send us an email. The email address is on the contact page of nowhearthis.biz. We have been recording this show at the great facilities at Crystal Blue Sound Studios near Tampa, Florida. Check them out online at www.cbpro.net. That's CB as in Crystal Blue. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again next week, next year, here on another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. 